Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The big game is back, and you know what that means. We get to bet on what color Gatorade will dunk the winning coach. Now, each of the last two years, the Bucks and the Rams have gone for blue. Three of the last four years, blue has been the winning color, and yet blue comes in as the second largest favorite this year at plus 390. At plus 200, you can get orange. At plus 400, you can get clear or watercolor. Yellow, green, slash lemon, lime, also at plus 400. Red is sitting at plus 600, and purple comes in at plus 1,000. All of your big game bets are available at Bet Online Sportsbook, and you can use our promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Using the link in the description to this episode, Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is a fantabulous February 1st, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is you may be listening. Joining us for the first time today on the show is Chase Kitty, and he is a betting analyst for BetMGM. He does a fun podcast called The Lion's Edge, and he is bringing some gambling expertise to the show, while we also talk about an interesting trend that he has been looking at over the past few years, which is quarterbacks making the Super Bowl in a post-rookie wage scale era, which is going back to about 2012. So about 10 years of data and looking at teams who advance deep into the playoffs. It's very interesting. We'll talk to him coming up in a little bit. First of all, there were a couple of breaking news stories. Sean Payton's going to the Denver Broncos. Chase and I are actually going to talk about that a little bit coming up on the show. I'm sure we can wait for our friend Blake Jude or Morgan from Australia to talk about the Sean Payton deal and Sean Payton getting traded from the Saints to the Broncos. And ultimately... That story has a lot of meat to it that we can talk about into perpetuity for many, many, many weeks. And Walter Mitchell is going to have some thoughts about that as well because Sean Payton was leveraging the Arizona Cardinals for his offer with the Denver Broncos. So I'm sure our other friends of the show will have some interesting thoughts about that. 
And we're going to talk to Chase about it as well, as well as coaching contracts in the NFL and structures and systems that exist within the place of football. What I want to talk about before we get to Chase and Sean Payton and the Denver Broncos is D'Amico Ryan's and him going to the Texans, news that broke literally eight minutes after the Sean Payton news broke. And Ian Rappaport put out this tweet in the aftermath of the decision. The Bronco, quote, unbelievable. The Broncos spent today trying to hire D'Amico Ryans again before he recommitted to the Texans, sources say. When he agreed to terms with the Texans, the Broncos moved and finalized Sean Payton. The Broncos last few weeks, quote, zeroed in on D'Amico Ryans, secretly tried to lure Jim Harbaugh from Michigan, negotiated a Sean Payton deal, tried to hire D'Amico Ryans again, then finalized the hire of Payton as their new head coach. I know D'Amico Ryans has a personal connection to the Texans because it's where he spent a good portion of his playing career. With that being said, I said coming into this offseason, none of the coaching jobs this year were really good. And I would argue that except for maybe the Colts job, which has changed because Jim Ursay seems really involved in the hiring process. Other than the Colts job, all of these jobs were really bad. At the same time, Denver Broncos... We have been making fun of you for years on this podcast, in part because you are the new Buffalo Bills of the Patriots era, when Buffalo didn't make the playoffs for 17 years. I bet you we're going to look up one day and be like, huh, the Broncos haven't won a playoff game in 17 years. That's a thing that's going to happen. They haven't won a playoff game in seven years. I bet you we're going to look up one day and say the Broncos haven't won a playoff game in 17 years. I know they just got new, rich ownership, and I know that they got Sean Payton as their head coach, even as they had to give up a first-round pick plus make a pick swap. They gave up a second, they got back a third in order to make that happen. I know they made those moves. At the same time, Do you know how shit your organization has to be to get turned down for the Texans? For the Texans! D'Amico Ryans turned you down for the God-forsaken Texans. The Texans who just hired three consecutive black coaches to clean up the mess that that Bill O'Brien left. The same Texans who just hired a team pastor to run their entire organization. The same Texans whom every January 12th we celebrate for the fact that they were up 24-0 on Kansas City, pissed away that lead, and have had the worst record in the NFL in the three years since. The same Texans who traded all their draft picks to Miami, gave up J.J. Watt and DeAndre Hopkins to the Cardinals, and then gave up their franchise quarterback who turned out to be a sexual predator. That Houston Texans team. D'Amico Ryans wanted that over the Broncos. 
Do you know how shit your organization has to be for him to choose the Texans over you? That the Broncos wanted you as the head coach. They were willing to offer the moon for you. And they, no, we'd rather take the Texans. I don't even care that they get Sean Payton as their coach. Which, by the way, I don't even know if Sean Payton is going to be enough to fix that problem in Denver. I don't even know if that's going to be the case. Sean Payton didn't have great options on the table, and he wanted to get back into coaching, so he took the Denver Broncos job. If I were Sean Payton, I would have waited for a better job. I would not have taken the Broncos job, the first one that came up on this hiring cycle, which is technically the second, because we know he wanted to go to Miami last year. I would not have taken the second job that came available. I would have waited for a better job. I know they get Sean Payton. I know they traded all their draft picks in order to get Sean Payton back. Basically flipped Bradley Chubb in exchange for Sean Payton. When you look at the Bradley Chubb trade of a first-round pick and Chase Edmonds and I believe a fifth-round pick was mixed in there. When you take that trade and what they just gave up for Sean Payton, they basically traded Bradley Chubb for Sean Payton, which in a vacuum is not that bad of a trade. I know they got Sean Payton, but you wanted D'Amico Ryans, and D'Amico Ryans chose the Texans over you. That is the worst embarrassment I can think of for the Broncos. I don't even care that they got Sean Payton. The thing that's funnier is that D'Amico Ryans picked the worst-run organization in North American pro sports over you. He picked the team that gave up a 24-0 lead to Kansas City and has gone 10-35-1 and since. He chose the team that had an 8-25 and record over two seasons and all they had to show for it was Davis Mills and Rex Burkhead. D'Amico Ryans picked that team over yours. Do you know how godforsakenly terrible? And the Broncos have been worse. Like, granted, if the Jets make the playoffs next year, the Broncos have the longest playoff drought in the NFL. It's been seven years of shit for Denver. I'd argue it's been eight years of shit for Denver because that Super Bowl year, they fucked around and won the Super Bowl with Peyton Manning, nine touchdowns, 17 interceptions, and then Brock Osweiler left in free agency, leaving you with Trevor Semyon as your quarterback. I'd argue that they won a Super Bowl and were still mismanaged on their way to a Super Bowl. You're telling me that that team (laughs) is somehow less desirable than the Houston Texans to D'Amico Ryans, who literally could have had his pick of any of the head coaching jobs. Turned down a second interview with the Cardinals, turned down a second interview with the Colts, and got offered the job between the Broncos and Texans. Literally could have had any job he wanted, and he chose the Texans over you. It doesn't say great things about the Cardinals either. At the same time, I kind of understand it from the Cardinals' standpoint. I don't understand it from taking the Texans over the Denver standpoint. Is it just because you get to pick a quarterback? Is it just because you have financial flexibility? Is it just because you used to play for the Texans? And there was like a personal connection to that? Whatever the reasons may be, D'Amico Ryans chose the Texans over your shitty organization. The worst of the worst. He chose that over the Broncos, and I just can't stop finding that to be the most funny shit in the world. That the Broncos reached out to him on January 31st, D'Amico took the Texans job, and then they went and hired Sean Payton. 
And by the way, Adam Schefter trying to cover that shit up like they didn't contact D'Amico the last week. You know who's saying that? Sean Payton's agent. Who's Sean Payton's agent? The Michigan guy who's friends with Tom Brady, who's also friends with Adam Schefter. Sean Payton's agent is telling you through Adam Schefter, hey, they didn't reach out to D'Amico this week. Uh Uh-huh. Ian Rappaport's saying that they did, and your report was based 20 minutes after Ian Rappaport put that out, Adam Schefter. Okay, whose business are you doing deals with? Who didn't report on the Miami Dolphins story, Adam Schefter? D'Amico today was being courted by the Broncos, and he said, nah, I'd rather go coach the Texans. That is the most embarrassing shit ever for the Broncos. And they're getting roasted for trading for Sean Payton. I don't even think Sean Payton can fix the Broncos at this point. I'm just going to put that out there. I don't even think the magic of Sean Payton can solve that shitty organization's shitty problems. And this was before. I still think that they made the right move trading for Russell Wilson. What else were you going to do? Tank? You could have. Or you could have tried to fight for the seven seed. Tanking tanking for the Broncos wouldn't have done them shit. You know why? Because they play in the same division as Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert. There's The Broncos are always damned if you do, damned if you don't. The Raiders and Broncos, and even to a certain extent the Chargers. You are damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Whatever you do, you're gonna come up short. And on this one... Yeah, you got Sean Payton. Yeah, you traded all that compensation to get him. And guess what? You've got a team that got turned down for the Texans. Got turned down for the Texans. And I just didn't realize that's how far the Broncos had fallen. I just didn't realize that the Broncos were so bad that they were in a position to get turned down for the goddamn Houston Texans, who have been the worst-run organization in football based on record and just LOLs in the last three years. But somehow the Texans figured that shit out. They're in year four of a five-year rebuild from the Bill O'Brien-Jack Easterby experiment, and somehow they figured it out better than the Broncos who had like basically John Elway running the team for five years after the the owner died and the family was fighting over who would get to keep it. Okay, good for you, Denver. You can't get your shit together. Everything you do will pale in comparison to the Chargers and Kansas City, but more specifically Kansas City, because the Chargers will find a way to fuck it up, but specifically Kansas City. You can never be Kansas City. You can never catch Kansas City. And you get embarrassed even on the day you hire Sean Payton. How funny is that? He chose the Texans over the Broncos. That's just... I didn't realize that's how far the Broncos had fallen. Maybe that's why I find it so funny. I didn't realize the Broncos had fallen so hard that D'Amico would actively choose... The Texans were more desirable job than the Denver Broncos. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I was just totally unprepared for the possibility that you would have... Any job you wanted on the table, and you'd pick the Texans over Denver. With both, and Denver was desperate daddies. They were desperately trying to get you. They On January 31st, they were trying to hire you, and then two hours later, they were hiring Sean Payton. You know how funny that is? Do you know how funny that is for Denver, even on a day when they get Sean Payton to become a meme? That's just incredible. 
D'Amico Ryan, that is, it's going to be hard for you to shake that one off because I've made a lot of jokes about the Broncos the last four years. God knows I've been making fun of the Broncos for the last four years for just being abjectly terrible at every turn. From the Vic Fangio offenses to Drew Locke to actively watching a team quit on Vance Joseph in 2018 to the 13 quarterbacks in six years to not making the playoffs longer than any team in the NFL other than the Jets to being in the same division as Patrick Mahomes and never once having a chance to beat him. Like, just the futility of the Broncos has been funny to me for years and years and years, and I don't think enough people are talking about just how futile the Broncos as an organization are. And today, you delivered quite possibly the funniest of them all. Funnier than 10-minute field goal drives for Vic Fangio. Funnier than Drew Locke getting two chances at quarterback. Funnier than everything that happened last year with Nathaniel Hackett. Funnier than Joe Flacco, Case Keenum, Teddy Bridgewater, Brett Ripien, Jeff Driscoll, Mark Sanchez. Who am I forgetting? Trevor Semyon, Brock Osweiler twice, Kendall Hinton, the wide receiver who started a game at quarterback. Funnier than all of that is D'Amico Ryans picking the Texans over you. And you settling on Sean Payton and looking like fools for doing so. How, how do you mess that up? How do you mess that up, Denver? Might work out in the end. D'Amico Ryans might have made a mistake. He chose the Texans over you. And it's going to take years for me to forget about that. It's going to take years of Sean Payton's success. And it's going to take years of, Den- of Houston Texans futility for me to forget about the fact that D'Amico Ryans with offers on the table, picked the Texans over your shitty team, and you settled on trading two draft picks for Sean Payton. It's going to take years for that to not be funny. Chose the Texans over the Broncos. All right, joining us for the first time here on the Take It Easy podcast, we have Chase Kitty. Uh, he is the host of the Lions Edge and a gambling analyst for Bet MGM. Uh, the Lions Edge is a gambling uh, is a Bet MGM podcast, uh, and Chase is here to talk with us today for the first time. So, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate you giving us the time. Of course, really happy to be here. All right. So my expertise is compared to yours of the NFL. I, I can do college football talk, but obviously it's the off season. I'm sort of college basketball adjacent. And uh, I don't know. Uh, what was it? We were talking about women's tennis. Women's uh, going tennis. On. Yeah, I do a lot of tennis. Yeah. The French women's tennis, or uh, I believe the Thailand Open is going on. I don't know exactly what it is, but I've noticed that uh, you're deep in the tennis world. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, not to get too too deep into the gambling weeds here right out of the gate, but I, I found both betting and now working for a sports book, the more niche your expertise is, the more leverage you have in in the betting market to make a little bit of money over the sports book. So uh, when I when I kind of figured that out a couple couple years ago, I really started to get heavy into the tennis. Uh, the football numbers, even in college football, are often really really sharp. But you know the the, the weirder you get, women's tennis like FCS football. I have a friend who bets a ton of cricket or a ton of darts. I mean, uh, the weirder <laughs> you get, the, the more leverage you have. So I've kind of leaned into it. 
I should introduce you to our friend Razor Rosenthal because he's big into the tennis world and in tennis gambling as well. So they might have a might have a shared interest there. But uh, anyways, I've got NFL questions just because it's the sport that I'm aware of. We can talk about women's tennis for the people who might enjoy it. But in football um, coming out of the weekend that we just had, what did you make of the results? Any gambling expertise, prop bets, anything interesting coming out of the championship weekend? Well, I, I think uh, my, I mean, there's a lot of takeaways and I could, I could go into, you know, 20 minutes if, if I wanted to on, on NFL contracts. And I think the effect that that has on the Super Bowl matchups we get in the modern NFL right now, uh, I think the big takeaway I had is that we got the right teams. I mean, I, I think, I think the chiefs are better than the Bengals. Certainly the current iteration of the chiefs are better than the current iteration of the Bengals given the offensive line limitations they have. And I think the Eagles were clearly the best team. I, I mean, in the NFC this year, I don't think there's a ton of pushback on that. So especially knowing what happened in that San Francisco Philadelphia game with what happened at quarterback for San Francisco. I mean, how could you, how could you be anything but unsurprised by the outcome we got? So what was it that you were bringing up about the, the the contracts that are signed and how that might impact the teams who make it to the Super Bowl? I'm interested what you know about that or what data you have. Oh, yeah. I, so I've done a ton of work on this uh, at, on the Lions Edge at BetMGM uh, the last few years, and I, I kind of add to it every year. The modern The modern formula we have to get a Super Bowl team is to have one of two people playing quarterback either a guy on a rookie salary or Tom Brady. Now I'll circle back to the Tom Brady half of that in a second, but really the modern formula since, you know, post Cam Newton, when they redid how rookie contracts work, you know, you, you no longer come in and get drafted in the top 10 and get paid tens of millions of dollars right away. You come in, you're on a rookie contract. You're making, you know, if you're like the number one overall pick, if you're Joe Burrow, you're making, you know, $4 million, $8 million, $9 million, somewhere in that range, still great money if it's you or me, but for an NFL quarterback, it's kind of on the lower end. Patrick Mahomes this year is making $47 million. So the difference between like a Jalen Hurts, who's making $1.6 million on his second round draft pick rookie deal, and Mahomes, who finally got that extension a year or two ago and is now making $47 million, the financial impact that has on a team is massive. And what you see is a team like Philadelphia that doesn't have tens of millions tied up in a quarterback contract can afford to go out and pay big money to a bunch of free agents, really fill out the depth of their team. You take a nice swing at a guy like A.J. Brown in a trade last year. Uh, you hit on a couple of key draft picks like Devontae Smith. Now, all of a sudden, you have this really dynamic offense. you got a really strong offensive line. The Eagles' formula to how they got to the Super Bowl this year is not that uncommon when you look at who has made the Super Bowl or who has won the Super Bowl the last 10 years. This is kind of how you get there. You have a cheap quarterback, and you spend that money filling out the rest of the team. It's one of the reasons that my early lean in the Super Bowl is on the Eagles laying the short number just because historically they match up with a lot of the other teams that have won the Super Bowl in the last decade. 
So is this now a formula that teams recognize and can replicate? Because I think of Miami doing some of the same things that Philadelphia did. And while they didn't have the same level of success as Philadelphia, I think because some of those periphery pieces didn't hit as well. They kind of followed that same model of while the quarterback's on a rookie contract, we can just put tons of talent into the team. Cincinnati tried the same thing this offseason. I think uh, a team like S- Seattle is trying something similar. Is that kind of a-, a formula that teams recognize and are replicating? I think so. Yeah, I think it's I think it's the current model for how you get to a Super Bowl. When the Dolphins look around and they've got two on a rookie contract and they realize as they hey our window is now our window isn't five or ten years from now when Tua is like a savvy veteran assuming his career makes it that far we all hope that it does um it's it's not later on after he's been you know a crafty veteran it's right now when we have all this extra money to throw around so let's go get Tyreek Hill like let's pay him a bunch of money because right now they have a bunch of money um, with Geno Smith the interesting thing that Seattle's doing is hey what if we have a guy who we're not paying a bunch of money to, we would have a lot of extra money to throw around. So I, I'm I'm fascinated by the Geno Smith experiment, not just as a West Virginia guy, because I, I'm surprised more teams don't do that. I'm surprised more teams don't say, let's find a guy who can give us 80% of the production of an elite quarterback. And we have all this extra money to throw around. And, and, and maybe, you know, over the next couple of years, we'll see how successful Seattle can be doing that. I think it's it's a major implications kind of experiment. Um, Cincinnati has been so successful. Now, obviously, they're not playing for the Super Bowl this year. And I would argue that last year they just got super hot and, and you know, the, you know, they had, they had the, bou- the ball bounce their way a couple of times. But Cincinnati's been so good this year in part because of this, this money idea. They have Burrow, Jamar Chase, and T. Higgins. That's one of the best, you know, offensive cores that any team in the AFC or anywhere in the NFL has. And the three of them combined make like, I don't know, $20 million. Whereas the same like top threesome on the Cowboys, Prescott, CeeDee Lamb, and Ezekiel Elliott make like $73 million. So the the extra mobility you have financially when your core is that cheap, it just allows you to fill out that depth and make a real Super Bowl caliber roster. This is interesting that you bring that up with the Cowboys because Dallas's competitive advantage is that Micah Parsons makes like $7 million a year. So yep. because of that, they get bailed out for paying Zeke that money or what they, you know, they ended up trading Amari Cooper a little bit later. But, you know, you look at what Dak Prescott's making and it's justifiable for if you give a top six quarterback, top six quarterback money and surround him with competence, you become a top six team, which is kind of what Dallas has had. And it's interesting to see that compared to a team like Seattle, which I don't, I don't know exactly whether other teams are going to be able to replicate what Seattle did because they just don't have the organizational stability. But it's interesting to think about replicating the rookie quarterback experiment um, similar to how those teams do it. What do you make of like San Francisco trying that? And obviously they've messed up in a bunch of places on Trey Lance so far because he's only played four games in two seasons, but they kind of tried the same strategy and it was semi-effective like they're kind of their own case compared to like the Eagles, the Bengals, the Dolphins, teams who are trying to replicate this formula. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously things didn't work out with them at quarterback on multiple levels this year, but it's the same thing. It's they could afford to build an awesome roster of great offensive, you know, skill pieces like Debo. They were able to trade for McCaffrey's contract. They have all these awesome defensive pieces because when you look at their quarterback room, it's Trey Lance on a rookie deal. It's whatever the hell they're doing with Garoppolo, who I, I know that's that's become kind of you know high drama the last couple of years, but he's still relatively inexpensive when you compare him to other quarterbacks in the league, even starting quarterbacks. So when you put together Lance's rookie deal and Brock Purdy's seventh round rookie deal, which is, I mean, they're basically paying him in like Kroger coupons when you're a seventh round rookie. <laughs> uh, and then Garoppolo, there's even with three guys, there's not a ton of money in those three guys relative to the rest of the league. So it's fascinating what San Francisco will face this offseason because you could make the case that they should roll with any of those three guys next year and any of those three contracts. You can make the case for jettisoning, jettisoning any of those three guys. Let's get rid of Garoppolo. Okay, we have these other two guys. It seems like at least one of them will work out. We don't need his contract on the books. We can get a, a draft, some draft capital back, and we'll free up salary space. Like, let's do it. Uh, let's get rid. Of, let's get rid of Purdy. Hey, he's a seventh round throwaway guy that happened to come in and play well for six or seven weeks. We run to the NFC Championship. This is, I guarantee you, the peak of his value as an NFL player. Let's see if we can trade him and get something for him. That talk about turning nothing into something. Let's get rid of Lance. We don't need him. We we have Garoppolo and we have Purdy, and we know the a seventh round kid can run our system. So let's let's sell on Lance because it turns out we don't actually need him, and you know he's still enough of a mystery. We could probably get something decent back for him. There's all three cases. There's also the case that they should you know get rid of not all of them, but they should be comfortable with going into next season with none of them as the starting quarterback. There's a little <laughs> bit of, you know, smoke around, Hey, are the 49ers going to go get Tom Brady? So it's, it's such a fascinating breakdown for San Francisco, not just because of all of the names and all of the possibilities, but also because the money situation allows for them to do all of these crazy things and have all of these options. So earlier you mentioned putting Tom Brady to the side. Let's bring him back into the conversation of like, it's either rookie scale QBs or Tom Brady. Do we just replace Tom Brady with Patrick Mahomes at this point and kind of keep the formula rolling? No. And the, the reason I frame it that way, as you either have a kid on his rookie deal or you have Tom Brady, is because Tom Brady figured something out that it seems like nobody else has figured out. Everybody always wants to talk about Tom Brady's the greatest, Tom Brady's the GOAT, Tom Brady, you know, best resume ever. Some of that I agree with, some of what I think is overblown. But what I respect the hell out of Brady for is he figured this money thing out. He figured out, if I just take less money, I'm Tom Brady. I could go on the open market and make $80 million if you know the salary cap would let me. Like There is no ceiling for what he would make on the open market like eight or nine years ago. I think there is now because he's 45 years old. Yeah, but even but in 2020, even when he was a free agent the first time, there was right. probably not a, a cap on that. There's still a lot of demand for him. Yeah, so it's like he could make a shitload of money if he wanted to. 
But he figured out, I'm going to take a modest amount of money. I'm going to leave a lot of that extra money on the table for my team to go get extra guys that will make us Super Bowl contenders. Whereas if I took an Aaron Rodgers deal and made $50 million, there's a lot less money left on the, on the table for other guys. He figured this out, and it feels to me like nobody else did, which is why so many of his teams remained competitive sort of after the traditional window of the last 10 years has ended. There's a reason. There is a financial reason the last 10 years Aaron Rodgers hasn't won any Super Bowls. Uh, Russell Wilson, after his rookie deal, didn't win any Super Bowls. All of these great quarterbacks are left with not a lot to show for it, but Tom Brady keeps winning Super Bowls again and again. It's not just because he's Tom Brady and he's amazing. It's because he figured out the financial leverage piece of it and always left some for the rest of the team. Wasn't I mean, this was the whole point of the book that um, Seth Wickersham wrote, which is basically the end in New England was that if I'm going to sacrifice the money, I should also have a say over how that money is spent. And that's when the Patriots kind of bucked up against that. Meanwhile, Tampa was willing to concede a little bit more in negotiations in order to allow him to or in order for him to sign with the team. And that's a super interesting part of the the conversation, specifically post, I guess I would say like 2013 Patriots. So like after they lose to Joe Flacco, you kind of see that pivot because I think that's when Brady signed a new contract and they had just drafted Garoppolo. It's a super interesting point going back to around that same time was when they changed the rookie contract scale. I mean, it's not exactly apples to apples, but around the same two to three year time period was when they changed the rookie scale contracts. And that correlates with Brady's changes in the way that he signed a contract once he reached 37, 38 years old. Yeah, uh, It's Better to Be Feared is the Wickersham book that you're referencing. And yeah, yes. absolutely. You, you've got to think if you're Brady, it must be really frustrating to leave all of this money on the table and then look around and your best weapon is, is like Julian Edelman and the you know reanimated corpse of Gronkowski. I, you, Don't forget, they gave up a second round pick for Mohamed Sanu. Of course, of course. Who could forget? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's the source of, uh, of of all of that is that Brady kind of feels like, you know what? I'm the one sacrificing here. Can we at least get some offensive help? And, and that's never what Belichick's strength was. And, you know, that was just sort of an inevitable conflict that was going to pr- crop up between the two of them. So in the in the current NFL have these systems changed or does the formula continue to work? And if the, the systems are still the same as they were five, six years ago, how does Patrick Mahomes fit into this equation? So Mahomes went and got paid a lot. And I, I like, I want to be super clear. I never talk shit or, or think less of a guy who goes and gets paid, like get every dollar you can make. Uh, if that's what matters to you, uh, go get every cent for your family. It's generational transformational wealth. Like I, I'm not knocking it. I'm just strictly speaking on, on the, like the model level. The model is generally speaking, the team that has the cheap quarterback wins. And so I would wonder like Joe Burrow made the comment a, a couple of months ago, like, you know, somebody asked him about their Super Bowl window. And he said, as long as I'm the quarterback, our window is always open, which is like a, a great line. It's a v- great rejoinder, but statistically it's not really true. 
Based on the evidence, the evidence would disagree with Joe Burrow. (laughs) Right. So from the the perspective of which I am talking about, the Chiefs window kind of closed at least a little bit when Mahomes takes $47.6 million or whatever it is that he, that he took uh, on, on his, on his contract that he was paid for the 2022 season. So I, I always want to be kind of open-minded about all of this because every trend, every trend ends, right? Nothing is forever. And part of, you know, gambling and, and doing what I do is forecasting when something might come down and when something might like this might end. Uh, when your edge is over. So it's always possible. Like they play the game on a field, you know, it's 11 on 11. It's not played on a contract sheet of paper. Of course, Mahomes can go out there and win last year, the Rams won and and Stafford, he didn't make $47 million, but he definitely had a contract that was bigger than a lot of the contracts of the last 10 years. So it's not impossible. Uh, And by the way, Stafford won against a team that had Joe Burrow on his rookie deal. So it's, it's never impossible. And when you're talking about somebody as skilled as Mahomes, as great as he is, of course you have to accept the possibility that, you know, the result could buck the trend. I just look at it in totality and see I've got a guy who's been in the MVP race for most of the year in Jalen Hurts, making $1.6 million. The Eagles are probably the deepest team, I think, in the NFL. The Chiefs are dealing with, uh, you know, cluster injuries along their offensive skill positions. Um, it, it feels to me like the Chiefs are the right side of this. We got a long two weeks until the Super Bowl gets here. So, you know, I could change my mind five times between now and then. Yeah. And it's interesting because only two teams can make the Super Bowl. And Tom Brady's made the Super Bowl before the last two years, I think he made it like five times in eight years. So obviously Tom Brady is making up a lot of the statistical data when we're talking about rookie contracts and Tom Brady being what gets to the Super Bowl. So it'll be interesting once you clear out Tom Brady, how that opens opportunities for other people like Stafford, like Mahomes, potentially even a Joe Burrow slash Josh Allen slash Lamar Jackson over the next few years where they're going to be making, you know, top 10 quarterback money and will also be able to make a Super Bowl potentially. I mean, I I suspect that the trend is going to get bucked in some cases. I just don't know if it will lead to like a statistical um, like equivalence of like, hey, the trend has been broken. Something has changed in the system in which these quarterbacks who make $40 million a year are consistently going to the Super Bowl. Whereas, like you mentioned earlier, a generation ago, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Russell Wilson came up short. Yeah. And you can open it up for more data by looking at like finalists. Don't just look at the Super Bowl winner. Look at yeah. the team that made it to the Super Bowl, but lost. Look at the teams that made it to the AFC and NFC conference championship rounds. If you do that for this past weekend, you got the 49ers who were playing a seventh round rookie. We already talked about their quarterback room situation uh, and the mm-hmm. money there. We talked, we talked about the Eagles. We talked about the chiefs and then the Bengals obviously had Burrow on his rookie deal. So you and can, it, and 75% of those teams were in the conference championship last year. Exactly. So it's just like, over and over again, we see how since they have moved the rules for rookie contract money, we've seen how this all plays out. Like, There's a reason Russell Wilson went to back-to-back Super Bowls when he did 
And then his career, he put up lots of good regular season numbers, but his career never really touched those apexes again since then. There's a reason all of these things happen. And, you know, if you watch first take, like they kind of have a much different version of this conversation. It's, it's sort of like the Michael Jordanification of sports where we talk about rings culture and we talked about alpha dudes and like, who's the best? That guy's bigger than that guy. I think all that's kind of noise. I think a lot of it can be explained by stuff like this, tying at the money and tying at the contracts, which is way more boring to talk about. But I also think it's, it is kind of the reality portion of the conversation. <laughs> Not for me. I find this incredibly fascinating to talk yeah. about, but this is uh, this is the fun part of doing a podcast. It's like a Venn diagram of things I'm interested in and things the audience is interested in, and it's like a fine line on the uh, on the Venn diagram of figuring that out. So hopefully people find that trend interesting. I think as a macro level conversation, if you're going to have a cap on wages, it's interesting to see how you operate within that structure and system, even if the structure and system is silly for how they decide contracts and capping the players' salaries and such. I mean, this comes on the day when Sean Payton just got, (laughs) I'm going to presume, $30 million from the Denver Broncos as their backup plan. And they gave up the, they basically gave up Bradley Chubb and and another draft pick to acquire Sean Payton. So all of these systems and structures are very silly, but also fascinating. Yeah. Any thoughts on <laughs> the coaching hires today? I know it's not really anything gambling related or data related, but it's just the news of the day that came in. I think Peyton is brilliant. I think he doesn't get enough credit for how smart he was, what he did with Drew Brees, uh, what he did in New Orleans, which was basically a franchise that didn't have a ton of history worth talking about before he got there. Uh, His longevity there was incredible. Uh, So uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, here's what I would compare it to the Jaguars last year under urban Meyer, one of the worst teams in the NFL, the Jaguars this year with Doug Peterson, win their division, win a playoff game. And you know, they don't beat the chiefs and I'm not sure how close they actually were to beating the chiefs. I I think it's, Pretty safe to say the most overachieving team in the NFL this year. Yeah, and and I don't even think of it as overachieving. I think of it as that's the coaching gap from going from a guy who was objectively really bad in many different ways leading that team and that, that franchise to a Super Bowl winning coach who knows how to build a team and develop players. When you go from that to that, you go from in competition for the number one pick to winning playoff games in one year, not five years in one year. And that's, I think, what you get when you go from Hackett to Peyton is you go from something that was that bad to something that could be that good. But do the Broncos have the talent influx that the Jaguars got to be able to also make that leap? You know, I, I did for Lions Edge, I, I interviewed a couple of Broncos guys last preseason, and they were pretty adamant that the talent is there. And especially if they can draft well again this upcoming year, they felt pretty strongly that the talent wouldn't be the issue. So I'll lean on their assessment since they're on the ground there in Denver. Um, but to me, I mean, I have I have Wilson questions at this point. I would like to see him not look awful for at least a couple of games. I mean, I, I know how bad Hackett was this year, but 
Wilson was pretty bad too. So I, I think Peyton can probably fix a lot of it just schematically and then maybe fix the, a lot of the rest of it with coaching. I've, I've never liked the personal side of Wilson. I think he's super corny. Uh, I think it's hard to measure stuff like this, but I just kind of suspect there's some weird locker room stuff with him. Uh, so I don't know how all that gets quantified and mixed into the pot, but if, if there's a guy that I think can do something with it, I think it's Peyton. So I think it's a great hire and whatever giant number they are paying him next year, I think he's probably worth it. I've always thought it's weird that we don't pay coaches more. Like why wouldn't you want to pay the guy who is responsible for a hundred percent of the decisions that get made in practice and on game day and all, and filling out their coaching staff and all of these things. Why wouldn't you pay him a bunch of money? 10 or 15 years ago in college football, which is just as big a business as the NFL at this point, like the, the highest paid coach, the number one highest paid coach 10 or 15 years ago is making like $2 million. And it's just crazy to me that, that the scale wasn't higher. I think we're going to see corrections on that. We're already seeing big corrections on it in college football. I think this Peyton deal might be a big correction on it for the NFL. I think the difference and that not that this matters at all in college, because like Mel Tucker and Jimbo Fisher get $10 million. But I think the NFL's concern is that there just aren't enough good or not enough great coaches. Like you could maybe name eight of them right now that are like unreplaceable in the NFL at this point. So I think that's the reason you're not seeing like $60 million sized contracts is the market hasn't got there yet. But I, I just don't think these teams are going to pay for that when there's just... I mean, at this point, 75% of the coaches or 60% of the coaches somewhere between there has, what is it? I think it's like somewhere between 65 and 75% of coaches have been replaced in the last three years. So I think it just, unless you know, you have one of the good ones, which I I suspect Sean Payton is one of the good ones since he's going to make the hall of fame. I think unless you know, you have one of the good ones, they're kind of get replaced pretty quickly. Yeah, and I, I think it's just if you throw another coach on the pyre, right? It's it's quarterbacks and coaches. If you if you don't have one, you're just desperately trying to get one and you're trying on a new pair of pants every two and a half years till you figure it out. Yeah, and that's the thing. Cause like obviously I understand if Pete Carroll is gonna get a thirty million dollar contract from uh insert team Carolina or whatever it is. I know Pete Carroll's older, so it's not the best example, but like if another team were to throw that kind of money at a coach, I think it would be a tempt a tempting decision. But I just don't think there's enough coaches that we know are great in order to make it worth it. And the ones who are aren't so keen on leaving the situations that they were in. I think Peyton was only available because the Saints went all in on those last couple seasons with Drew Brees. They put themselves in salary cap hell and Drew Brees left and Sean Payton left and someone else can come in and clean up the mess. And that's kind of where the Saints have been the last two seasons of just cleaning up the mess that was left after everything that they tried to do to get to that Super Bowl at the end of Drew Brees' career. Yeah, and it's it's going to keep going. It's it's going to be bad for another couple of years. Uh, it's only going to get worse when you look at their cap situation. Not to yeah. not to bring everything back to the cap, but I mean, <laughs> their their cap is pretty bad right now. It's one of the worst in the NFL. So no, I've been, be- I've been saying this for two years. If you're a Saints fan, get out yeah. a couple of years ago. Like since 2020, I'm like, look, that's the best it's going to be. You won 12 and a half regular season games a year for four consecutive seasons. Like it's not going to get better than that. <laughs> that was as good as it's going to get. 
it's it's all going to be not as enjoyable from this point going forward. But I think only under that circumstance of what, you know, you can kind of call mismanagement or you can call it like going all in only under the, that circumstance does one of those coaches, well, I guess two because McVeigh was almost available, but only under those circumstances do two of those coaches ever come available. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that one was an interesting one. So uh, back to the Super Bowl, um, anything that you find interesting? You mentioned you were leaning Eagles early on in the in the matchups, in the data. Is there anything early on that you're seeing? Um, in terms of line movement or what, what, uh, what are we line movement, um, where the public is going to lean potentially, where sharps might be leaning, uh, even game script type stuff, anything interesting like that? Well, I could tell you from from general experience that mainly the only people that bet the Super Bowl in the first 48 hours after the game is announced and we have lines are are sharp betters. There's not a lot of of public action on the number this early in the two week lifespan of of the number. So when the sports books start to hang numbers on Sunday night, you know, I work for BetMGM, So I was pretty locked into to where our trading team was going to hang the number. Um, I'm just sitting there refreshing it, waiting for them to post it. It's, it gets posted kind of right around a pick them. I think I saw some other places open it like Kansas city minus two or Kansas city minus one is kind of in that area. And it immediately gets bet to Philadelphia minus two and a half. Like it gets taken all the way up in probably the span of 18 minutes. At, at our shop at BetMGM from Eagles pick to Eagles two and a half. And that's sharp money. The, the only, I maybe I shouldn't even say sharp money, but that's like professionals, sharp bettors and big volume bettors that, that have big accounts uh, because there's not a whole lot of like miners with $80 in their account getting on to place that bet that early moving the number. That's not how it works. So the fact that Philly is such an early target of people who are generally considered sharps, I think should tell you a lot. There's been a little bit of buyback since then on the Chiefs. I think the last I looked, it was uh, Philadelphia minus one and a half. So it moved the point back. The way I see it, there are health problems with Kansas City that the Eagles don't have. I already talked about like the historical perspective on all of this and I think also there's just Philadelphia looked really good because they played teams that weren't in their league. I think that's a part of it. That's also an argument why Kansas city is actually a good side. Uh, but it, it, it's hard. I think to handicap Philadelphia just because they had so little resistance. They get a first round by, they beat the crap out of a giants team that I think we all understood like kind of wasn't really in that, that final four final eight, level it, it might have been playing in the divisional round but they they were a bit uh overrated is not the right word it's just you know they played above their level for a lot of the year so philadelphia beat the crap out of them their first matchup in early december wasn't really surprising to see philadelphia beat the crap out of them again and then they beat a 49ers team that pretty much any team in the nfl would have beaten given the 49ers situation in the nfc championship game that is it's not necessarily an argument for Philadelphia. Like I said, if anything, it's an argument for Kansas city, but it is, I think why there's such an appetite to bet Philadelphia. I'm on the Eagles. I've already placed a bet, but I would feel a lot more confident 
if I had seen just a little bit more that would tell me that the Eagles are for real. Because all year, the conversation around the Eagles were, boy, they're good. Boy, they're deep. They're great at the line of scrimmage. They're great in all the ways that traditional Super Bowl contenders are. But they haven't beaten anybody. And there was so much anticipation to watch them beat that 49ers team, or, or play that 49ers team, I should say, as a measuring stick game. But the way the game unfolds, you really don't even get it there. So it, it's a pretty fascinating handicap on, on which team you prefer at this point. Well, that's really, really insightful information, especially knowing that you've placed a bet on the Eagles at this point helps kind of do the evaluation. And look, the Eagles might just win a Super Bowl without ever having a measuring stick game. That's kind of interesting to think about from a gambling perspective and from just a football watching perspective that they could make such a run. And obviously the buy is the reason that's the case because they only had to play two games, but it's just interesting that that is something that could happen in a, in a football season. Yeah. And, and the, the one thing I would add to the context around the Eagles bet and why I placed it is if you're a better, if you're a good better, you're, or you're, you're maybe not a good better, but you're trying to learn how to be a better one. Um, one of the things you should think about, it's not just, Hey, I like this team or Hey, I like this team. It's not even, Hey, I like this number or Hey, I like this number. It's, where is this number going to go? Like it, you have to think about the lifespan of the number, not just because you want to get closing line value for the sake of getting it. But if you have a good number that ages well, you can always bet out of that number later. So I anticipated that the, the line was going to move toward Philadelphia. When I say I bet the Eagles, I bet like the virgin opener. I, I was in the first 30 seconds that the number was posted and I saw Eagles pick. I bought it. I anticipated that the number was going to move toward them. So if hypothetically we get to a point where the Eagles are minus three, now I can come in and buy the other side. I have no net liability. And if the game falls between three and zero, I can actually win both bets. So that is, it's not just, my handicap on the Eagles side, it's also thinking about the lifespan of the number and, and acting responsibly in that context. You have no liability. You will either get zero or you will come away with a double victory potentially if, if like you said, the line gets to Kansas City plus three or you could even buy up to Kansas City plus three potentially because you know you have an Eagles pick em bet in the bank. You could, yeah. If uh, If you really... I would say if you really felt strongly about that extra point or half point. Um, now, I didn't actually I didn't buy the Kansas City position um, mm -hmm. in part because the number never got to three. I, I'm just speaking more hypothetically. Like if you feel like you're going to get that CLV on one position, then you buy it early and you have the opportunity to buy out of it later if you don't like it. That makes sense. And you suspected that the line would move in that direction, which you've got the gambling expertise to evaluate that. So that's a, a good, good insight on that part, especially 30 seconds after the line comes out is really interesting to think about as well as anticipating where the line is going to move and then getting the value on which way it'll change. That's very interesting to think about. Do you have a side that you uh, that you're thinking about? 
You have um, for the game itself, I'm not a. I understand gambling language. I'm not much of a. I'll put money on it myself. But my philosophy for uh, about five years is always bet on red. <laughs> Even if you end up being wrong, you will be right more often than not. So uh, if you always bet on Kansas City, you will win more times than you lose. That's my philosophy. That's the uh, is that the NFL version of uh, I know some people that in college basketball exclusively bet on blue teams in March. That's kind of the NFL corollary to that. Yeah, sort of. Uh, the other joke is the NBA always bet on black with the Spurs but it's just kind of playing off roulette a little bit. So yeah. my joke is if you always bet on red, you're going to win more often than you lose. So I, uh, I go in favor of Kansas city, I guess, in that respect, but that's, that's Spurs, not uh, that's first thing. It, it had better years than it's probably having now. I'm guessing. <laughs> no, I think, th- I think that magic died about five years ago, but yeah. for about 20 years, for about 20 run. to 30 years, it had a good run, <laughs> a good run. It had a good run. Uh, that's Chase Giddy, uh, Chase Kitty. Sorry, Chase Kitty. You can check him out at the Lions Edge podcast and uh, doing some anal- analysis for BetMGM. Uh, his Twitter is Chase A Kitty, and uh, there's a link to it in the description to this episode as well. Uh, it's fun to talk to you. Thanks for coming on and talking about some fun nerdy football stuff. Yeah, anytime. Thanks, Kyle.